When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. And now, Great to have you on board. My guest is coming up in just a moment, but I want to tell you that today's podcast is brought to you by New Works Plumbing of Sacramento. Whether it's leak detection, water line repair, plumbing repair, bathroom plumbing, New Works will be there for you. They are a full-service plumbing solution no matter how small or how large your plumbing problem, they've got a fix for you. Just go to newworksplumbing.com. That's N-E-W. WRXplumbing.com, newworksplumbing.com. Again, N-E-W-W-R-X-Plumbing.com. My guest is a repeat guest. How about that? Twice in a span of about a week, he goes by the moniker Ryan in Sacktown. So Ryan called into my show that I do weekdays. And if you're not familiar with it, I have a show Monday through Friday on an app called Listen App. You can download it. You can go to listenapp.co. You can follow me on social media at Grant Napier's show. I put a link out to the show every day. But Ryan called in and uh, had some very interesting questions for me. We got such a positive response that I'm like, Ryan, here's the deal, buddy. You got to come on my podcast this week and we got to get into this a little bit more. So Ryan, thanks for coming on, buddy. How are you? Grant, thank you so much. I'm doing well. Um, I really appreciate you having me on again. A little bit surreal, but I really enjoyed talking with you. And thank you to everybody on your live show um, that's given such a positive response to our correspondences and, you know, just their calls too. You run a great show, Grant. Well, I appreciate that. And you're getting into the business and you've started your podcast. And I know you got something pretty uh, interesting coming up in the middle of August as well. We do. Um, we are actually going to start the watering hole with horse and rhino. For those out there that don't know, um, my nickname, if you see on my Twitter page, is rhino. And uh, one of the other JTPers from the Rome show, uh, at Haunted Horse, go check him out. We're going to do a show that's just a little bit topical and having a little bit of fun. So I appreciate you bringing that up. And uh, we're looking forward to it August 15th at 7 p.m. All right. Well, speaking of having some fun, let's have some fun right now. So the floor is yours. Which direction are we going in today? We're going memories again, Grant. I mean, our last podcast that we did together, we talked about word association. Well, we, we had a huge conversation about word association. And we had a fun one um, on your live show about memories. So, you know, a little bit of this could be repeat if you listen to the live show. But the things that you share and the insight that you give, it, it's what the listeners want to hear. So, you know, what was that first experience like walking into an NBA arena announcing a game for the first time? Well, my first game ever was in Portland in 1988. I remember the starting lineup like it was yesterday. Terry Porter and Clyde Drexler in the backcourt with Jerome Kersey, the late Jerome Kersey, the late Kevin Duckworth in the middle with Buck Williams at the four. Mike Schuler was the head coach, and I remember, you know, the quaint building. Uh, they played at the Memorial Coliseum up in Portland. It was the smallest arena in the NBA other than Arco 1, which had 10,333, but uh, it was a very intimate arena and I remember going to shoot around that morning and I think I shared this story with you but for those that did not hear uh, the gentleman that did the games for the first three years in Sacramento was the sports director of Channel 13 his name was Tom Kern Tom and I became very very good friends Tom actually later worked at Channel 31 as a news anchor but uh, Tom actually called my hotel room 
in Portland uh, hours before the game uh, to wish me good luck. And he was pretty honest. He said, hey, I'd be lying to you if I said this isn't hard for me. You know, I really love doing the games uh, for the last three years, but I think you're going to do great. And he goes, I just wanted to wish you the very best. And I just thought, wow, how awesome is it that the guy that announced the Kings games for the first three years in Sacramento is not getting an opportunity because Channel 13 lost the rights to Channel 31 and I'm the lucky guy that is taking over and for him to give me a call and wish me well has always stood out to me. You know, I just remember walking into the building kind of, I was kind of numb, Ryan. I mean, to think about being, you know, I just turned 28 and I was, gee, now an NBA announcer and I was in Portland and the history of the Blazers. And the thing I also remember during my first visit to Portland, both uh, the day before the game and of the game, taxi drivers, people on the street, everyone was talking about the Blazers in Portland. I mean, everyone. I mean, they were the talk of the town. And obviously a full house. Uh, the Kings got killed that night. But I'll never forget it, Ryan. It was a, a big thrill in my broadcasting career. And it's interesting. Uh, and it, I, I didn't plan it on working out like this, but my last road game that I did was also in Portland. Okay, think about that. My first game ever in the NBA was in Portland. And the last road game I did in March of 2020 was in Portland as well. So go figure that. Go figure. Things work out a weird way. There's no doubt about that, Grant. Like, when you started out your career, um, speaking of memories, did you feel there was a difference as you progressed to where you could be a little bit more loose versus biting your tongue? Yes, no question about that. I think that's part of the evolution of any job that you have. Uh, you're really following your P's and Q's when you start out. You're listening to everyone for any advice. We had a veteran uh, producer his name was Lou Ray Noni. Uh, we actually contracted out with a company called Bud Sports to produce the Kings games back in 1988. And Lou had done the Cincinnati Reds in the big red machine with Tom Seaver and Johnny Bench and Pete Rose. And it was phenomenal to have somebody like Lou Ray Noni in the truck with that type of experience. Lou also did uh, college football. And Lou was really great for me. Lou was somebody that he was kind of gruff he was kind of like hey we're, we're here to do business you know we have a game to do this is all business but Lou was it, took, took, took me out to lunch he was telling me I'm going to do great and he said these are the things that are important that you always need to remember when you're doing a game and so I was fortunate to have people like Lou Raynoni that taught me the business early on but you learn and you evolve as you go around as you go along and yeah I would say that probably as my career progressed among the 32 years yeah I would probably go off on more tangents later on in my career than I would have in 1988 uh, you know I was just trying not to mess up in 1988 Ryan I mean, it really was I was trying to make sure that I didn't embarrass the Sacramento Kings I tried to make sure that I didn't become a four-letter word in Sacramento because I was so bad on the air so all of those things I was going against you have to remember Ryan nobody really knew who I was in 1988 I started working at Channel 31 in 1987 as the sports director but nobody watched Channel 31 I mean, I would go out at night and nobody would ever recognize me. Nobody would ever come up to me and say, hey, Grant Napier, you're on the news. So I had both the Sacramento Bee and the Sacramento Union write reviews on me after my first two games. Uh, one was Dan Vieira, the media critic of the Sacramento Bee, and his headline said, terrible game, solid broadcast. And then Steve Kennedy of the Sacramento Union also wrote a very positive column on me. But both columns talked about how the unknown Grant Napier from Uncharted Waters is now the TV voice of the Sacramento Kings. And they both gave me very positive reviews. And that went a long way in validating my credibility with the Sacramento audience who really had no idea who I was. So, Grant, and that that's really cool. Where is the line? Let me ask you this. Where is the line between reading too much? That was positive, and I'm sure that pumped you up, but I'm sure it, that was not during the social media era. So, you know, if you were starting out today, where is the line of what you will look at and what you won't look at in terms of reviews? Well, it's a great question. Uh, back then, here's what 
my goal was. My goal was to make the front office of the Sacramento Kings happy and the man that allowed me and I mean allowed me to do the games and put confidence in me was the general manager at the time at Channel 31, Elliot Trushinsky. I wanted to make the Kings front office happy and I wanted to make Elliot Trushinsky happy. I wanted them to say, we made the right choice at having Grant Napier be the TV announcer of the Kings. Now today, with social media, I mean, back then, we didn't even have cell phones when I started doing the games in 1988. So there were no distractions. There was no outside noise. Uh, if there was criticism about you, the only way you would really hear about it is if you picked up the paper and read a media uh, column on you. That was pretty much the only way you were going to get criticism. So it's a fabulous question. I don't know what would happen if I was starting right now because I'd obviously be of the younger generation. I would have grown up with a cell phone in my hand. I would have grown up with social media being a big part of my life and I would be lying to you if I said I probably would ignore the comments I think I would gravitate towards social media I think I would be human nature to hear what people were saying about you if you were just starting out so uh, two different worlds Uh, I prefer the world that I started out in 88 without the noise the outside distractions and everything else I think doing uh, that job now would have been more challenging because of the noise on social media Well, you're right, but it's not just the noise. You're under a bigger microscope at that point. You know, it it only takes one flip on air for somebody to record that, retweet it, yada, yada, yada. So um, I'm going to have a little fun. Obviously, in the NBA, you guys travel a lot. You're traveling 41 games a year. So what was your best memory from a city, and what is your favorite restaurant? from any city out of town from Sacramento? Oh, my favorite restaurant is El Gaucho in Seattle. I think it's uh, the the most amazing restaurant. There's also an El Gaucho in Portland that we would go to uh, three blocks from the team hotel. I loved El Gaucho. Again, there's a couple in Seattle, but the uh, El Gaucho Steakhouse in both Seattle and Portland are my favorites. I mean, my favorite city was always to go to New York. I mean, I grew up on Long Island, uh, New York. To, to be announcing a game at Madison Square Garden to this day is the biggest thrill that I've ever had, and I was blessed to be there for 32 games over 32 years because obviously we only played in New York once a year but there was never there was nothing like going to New York for me Uh, I always look forward to that you know my favorite city to really broadcast was Miami Uh, and uh, other than the game itself just for the climate because generally speaking you would go in the middle of winter and you'd get off the airplane I remember there were a couple of times we actually went from Detroit once and from Milwaukee once in the dead of winter to go to Miami to do a game and you would think that like you died and won the lottery or something and then we also had a couple of we also I'll tell you we also had certain times when we would be in Miami or Florida for three days because you played always Orlando and Miami on the same trip and you'd be leaving 80 degree weather that you were accustomed to for three or four days and you had a game in Cleveland or Milwaukee or Detroit or Minnesota and I'll tell you I'll never forget this you would walk up the steps of the airplane And you would go as slowly as you could because you just wanted to feel the warmth of the air before you got in the airplane. I'll never forget this. As soon as I would get in my seat on the airplane and look out the window, I would say, it's over. It's done. Goodbye, warm weather. Now I'm going to go freeze my ass off. Um, So, yeah, you, you know, traveling in the NBA, we had four games and five nights a lot. I remember doing uh, four games in five nights in four different time zones. You know, I think we had a game in Toronto, then Chicago the next night, flew to Sacramento, had one day off, and then after the game played in Utah against the Jazz. So, I mean, traveling would take a, uh, even though we flew on a charter aircraft, the time difference, you know, you'd get into hotels three, four, five in the morning. And if you were a good team, it didn't matter. I remember we when, when the Kings were really good, Ryan, uh, the Kings were on an extended East Coast trip and we were in Atlanta and it was the fifth game of a six-game road trip, and we had a mechanical, and we didn't arrive in Salt Lake City until like 7 in the morning to play a really good jazz team that night, and... um or, or, or something like I mean, it was a crazy trip. I can't even remember. I, I don't believe we had a night off. But wherever we were going, we had a quick back-to-back, and the Kings went out and beat the Jazz that night to go, I think, 5-1 and one on a six-game trip. So they might even have gone 6-0. and oh. They may not even have lost a game. But the teams that were good, Ryan, it really didn't matter whether your plane was delayed. It didn't matter if you couldn't fly out the day of or the day before and you had to take a flight the day of. Good teams 
fought their way through it and figured out a way to win. But New York, my favorite place. El Gaucho, both in Seattle and Portland, my favorite restaurants. El Gaucho, that must be uh, Mexican. No, El Gaucho is not Mexican. It is uh, an Argentinian, I believe, uh, steakhouse, I oh. believe. Uh, but the food is spectacular. Uh, El Gaucho is amazing. And I've never had anything bad to eat there. It's a dining experience. If you're ever in Portland, go to El Gaucho. If you're in Seattle, go to El Gaucho. You will not be disappointed. Will do. Absolutely. That sounds great. I'm actually going to Portland here in probably another month or two. Perfect. Uh, but anyway. Uh, so, you know what, you kind of spurred something in my mind. So if you're going, you, you can only choose one. You're going from a cold weather to a warm weather city or a warm weather to a cold weather city. Are you dressing up or dressing down, getting on the plane? Oh, I'm dressing down. There's no question about that. Um, I would, first of all, you're going to find this, really hard to believe. I rarely took a coat on any trip that I went on. I would have a sweatshirt and that's about it because it was such a pain in the neck to carry your coat everywhere uh, because you were always dressed in suits going to the game. See, what you understand, like I'd be in Minneapolis, okay? And we would be 10 below zero. And the only time I would be outside in Minneapolis would be from the steps of the airplane onto the bus, from the steps of the bus into the hotel lobby, and then when it was time to go to the game, from the hotel lobby to the bus. It was not worth it for me to lug a coat for all of that when I could just quickly take 10 to 15 strides, be cold, and then be warm. So I was probably the only one in the traveling party that did not take a coat. So I very rarely dressed if we were going to a cold weather city i was not i didn't have a hat i didn't have any of that nonsense i didn't have a scarf um i had just a sweatshirt on and i was like yeah come on i'm only gonna be outside for 15 seconds so i would always dress inappropriately for cold weather and when we were going from a cold weather city to a warm weather city yeah, I was ready to roll, man. Now, you weren't allowed to wear shorts on the airplane. That was against the team rules. So you couldn't wear shorts. But, you know, I, trust me, I would be ready to roll when we got off the airplane in Florida. Well, you are from the East Coast, so that yes. makes a lot of sense. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. So, hey, uh, let, <laughs> let, let's go to another memory. What is your best memory about growing up with Mad Dog, Christopher Russo? And how has that affected your career? Chris and I were together pretty much every day from about four years old uh, through grade school. Chris went to a private school in junior high school and high school. So even though we were friends, we didn't see each other as much. Chris and I used to play a form of a sporting event almost on a daily basis. Uh, We would play stickball at the school that we went to. Uh, we would have two-on-two uh, pickup games in his backyard. He had a big backyard that we could play, and it was long. It wasn't that wide, but it was long, and it was perfect for playing. a. We would always play two-on-two, almost on it. If it wasn't raining, we'd be in his backyard playing. And we also, he had a nice basement where we would play street hockey, you know, on, on his basement. So we were competitive. Uh, Chris was really no different then than he is now. Uh, he was very uh, boisterous. He was very loud. Uh, he was very animated. Uh, he was the loudmouth at school. I mean, that's who Chris was. And everyone knew Chris Russo. Chris was obnoxious as a kid. Chris would admit that. Uh, Chris was a sore loser. Chris was somebody that would fight you tooth and nail. Uh, when we were playing stickball, if I called it a ball or a strike, because we had to chalk on the wall. And so it was up to, you know, uh, the batter uh, to make the call because we were closer to the chalk mark. Or, you know, we were we were always arguing. Uh, we got in a lot of disagreements as kids. But, you know, that's what kids do. But I would say Chris was ultra, ultra competitive. And always, he hated all the New York teams, didn't like the Yankees. His father was a diehard Yankee fan. Chris hated the Yankees, was a San Francisco Giants fan. Didn't like the Jets or the Giants, was a Green Bay Packers fan. We didn't really 
you know, I can't remember about the Knicks, but baseball giants, football Packers. Chris always used to think he was Bart Starr and Carol Dale, the wide receiver. He always, we used to play stickball. He used to be Willie McCovey up at the plate. He used to be Chris Spire in the field. I mean, he used to be Juan Marichal pitching. You know, the guy was just so atypical for a New Yorker because he didn't like the New York teams. That's what I always remember about growing up with Chris. So personality-wise, who rubbed off more on who? Because to me, there's you guys have very similar personalities. You you're not scared to speak your mind. You're not scared to call somebody out. You're loud, but you're also respectful too. So is that something that kind of was organic between the friendship, or you know, did you have a larger effect on him, or vice versa? You know, the respect part came from our parents. You know, Chris's parents were very strict. Tony and Molly, uh, and his mom's still alive, bless her heart. They were very strict. Chris was an only child, and he came from a very strict household. My household was not as strict, but I would think the respect, that's the one thing that our parents, both Chris's parents and mine, always taught us. You know, respect, 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 and it's something that I've always passed down to my kids. But I would say that our personalities, believe it or not, have not really changed since we were that competitive on the school ground. I can tell you Chris's personality hasn't changed uh, one iota. I'm probably more calmer, if you can believe it, today uh, and through my adult life than I was as a kid. I was pretty loud. I was pretty obnoxious on the playground as well. So I would say that my personality changed more than Chris's. I'm telling you, the only difference between Chris at age five and Chris as an adult was his voice. You know, other than that, Chris's personality has not changed one iota. He's the same person today as he was at age five, other than the fact that his voice is deeper now. And that's the darndest truth. So I'm not really sure that I rubbed off on him more or he rubbed off on me more. I would say my personality's changed a little bit more than he has. But if you could see Chris, if you had a video of Chris when he was five years old, you would laugh your ass off because you would go, wow, that's the same Chris that I watch on ESPN on first take. That's the first Chris I listened to on Mad Dog Radio, other than his voice is deeper. He really has, I'm telling you, Ryan, this is hard to believe. His personality has not changed one iota. But I'll tell you, away from everything now, like if you were to sit down and have dinner with Chris, I mean, Chris is the most kind, gentle, uh, considerate, big-hearted person you could ever meet. I mean, he, his heart is, he, Chris is a very caring, sympathetic figure, and is always trying to help out people. I've always loved that about Chris. I, I feel like, Grant, you have a better insight than me, obviously. You just explained that. But he's somebody, in my opinion, he is who he is. And you can tell people that are going to be disrespectful, and they're doing it on purpose for ratings, and just people as they are. And Chris seems like he is exactly who he is. So uh, it's really cool to hear that story. Um, I'm going to shoot you another memory. The first time after you started in Sacramento that you really felt like you had made it. They put my billboard, my picture on the side of buses for a Channel 31 news marketing uh, uh, project or, 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 you know, advertising run. I can't remember what the hell the word would be. And my picture was on the side of buses in Sacramento. And that's when I first thought, wow, wow, that's like freak. I'd be in my car and I'd pull up at a red light and a bus would come up and I'd see my ugly face on the side of the bus. And I'd be going, wow, that's pretty damn cool. So the first time that that ever entered my mind in Sacramento was when Elliot Trushinsky came into 31, changed the anchor desk, built up the news, and then we had a marketing campaign with billboards on the side of buses. That's the first time I thought, wow, okay, this is pretty cool. I've arrived in Sacramento. But I'll tell you, Ryan, it's pretty freaky to be in downtown or, you know, driving around and you see your your face on the side of a bus on a big billboard. That's 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 a little, uh, that's weird. I'll just say that, Ryan. That is a really weird experience when you pull up and you see your ugly ass face on the side of a bus. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I can't imagine that feeling. And hopefully if you're somebody that has that opportunity, you're not lying to your girlfriend about who you are. <laughs> <laughs> right. That's very funny. <laughs> but, um, hey, okay, what was your, in your opinion, best 
and worst calls in Bet, your NBA career. Best and worst calls in my NBA career. I don't know if I've had a best because I've had a lot of very memorable calls. You and I were talking the other day on Listen App, and you thought that it was the Bogdan Bogdanovich game winner against the Lakers. I think that was in 2019, if I'm not mistaken, December of 2019. And what was amazing about that is our director, uh, Mike Bird, thought it would be neat to have a small little uh, camera in front of us on the broadcast desk. No one else in the league was doing this, by the way, because I would get animated when I would do games on my like, really big calls, whether it was a game winner or if you don't like that. you know, I, I would get very pumped up and very animated during the game. And he thought it would be neat to show that. And so I thought what made that call so interesting, Ryan, was, first of all, it was the Kings and the Lakers. It was the holiday season. The ball was in the air when the red light went on the backboard, meaning that the game was over. It was a three-pointer to win the game. And obviously, Doug and I had a very animated call. I used to put my hand up in front of his face when I wanted him to stop talking because he had a habit early on in his career of stepping on me. And I would tell him, I'm, like, I'm, I'm going to say, listen, when I put my hand in front of you, you do not talk. All right? And I had to explain to him that when you're on the road and you're at home, it's different. And when you're at home and there's a big moment, you got to let the game breathe. And I used to put, so I would put my hand in front of his face. And you can see the video of me standing up with my arm straight out across his face and then him lifting my arm up so he could see what the hell was going on with this expression. Do you know that that was trending? Believe it or not, that video ended up trending all over the world. It was trending in Australia. It was trending in Europe. Yep. It, was trend it was unbelievable. There were millions and millions and millions and millions of people. And I'll tell you what also is fascinating about that. Even Dwayne Wade retweeted the video of the game winner. Now, think about that. You know, I had NBA players retweeting that call against the Lakers. So that stands out. But I think that stands out, Ryan, because it was not only a uh, the, the play itself, but then it was the video of me being so animated making the call. So that, that stands out. But, I, Ryan, 32 years, I, I really don't have a call that – 100% sticks out to me. As far as my worst call, I, I don't want to be like self-serving or condescending here. I always live for the big moments and I don't ever remember making a mistake on a big play. May not have been as great as some of my other calls, but I do remember making this mistake and this will always stick out to me. And I, I, I will tell you, I hope that those that are getting in the broadcasting Take what I say to heart. We were at Madison Square Garden playing the Knicks, and the game came down to the last possession. And one of the best referees in the league, Dan Crawford, made a call to my left on the baseline and called what I thought was a foul on Corliss Williamson. Now, we were broadcasting across from the scores table, and Dan Crawford made his call to the scores table so that I could not see what he was calling. I thought he called the foul on Corliss Williamson, and I came down on him pretty hard. Game over, we go to commercial break, and we then show the replay coming out of commercial. And during the commercial, I saw that I was wrong. What Dan Crawford called was an illegal screen out of bounds, not a foul call. So I came back on the air. Now, League Pass, all the games that were shown on League Pass, when the game was over, the feed stopped, okay? So all the people that were watching on League Pass, all they heard me was criticizing Dan Crawford. So I came back on, and I said, hey, welcome back to Madison Square Garden, the final score, the Knicks beat the Kings. And I said, I first of all need to apologize. I got the call wrong. Dan Crawford was 100% right. I got the call wrong. Here's the replay. Jerry and I went over the replay. And we were on the airplane flying out of Newark. And this is the only time in 32 years that I ever got a call from somebody at the NBA. And it was Tim Frank, the right-hand man for the commissioner who took care of all of this stuff. And he said, hey, Grant, I need to talk to you about, you know, the end of the game. And I said, hey, Tim, I said, you probably didn't see this on TV because the league pass stopped. I said, I came back 
after the commercial and I said I was wrong. I apologized and I said, I, and I apologized to Dan Crawford on air. And he goes, Hey man, I really appreciate that. That's great. He says, just be careful in the future. Make sure I said, you know what, Tim, I learned my lesson. I appreciate the phone call. So fast forward a couple of weeks later, we're playing a game. I walk out onto the court. I'm getting ready. Who's one of the officials, Dan Crawford. I walk up to Dan before the game. I said, Dan, I go, Dan, I owe you an apology. I said, hey, that game in New York, I said, I got the call wrong. I said, you probably didn't even hear this because the league pass stopped. I said, I want you to know I came back on the air and made an on-air apology. And he said, hey, Grant, I really appreciate that. That means the world to me. He goes, you're all good with me, man. He goes, don't even worry. I said, no, Dan. I said, I want you to know that I apologize to you on the air. And I would also say something that has always been a, uh, a source of pride for me. I used to have referees come up to me repeatedly and thank me for being so fair on the air. And I'm not exaggerating. I had officials come up to me and say, hey, Grant, I just want to say, man, we really appreciate how fair you are on the air and that you're not afraid to say that you're wrong when you criticize us. And I said, well, listen, I go, you know, we're all in this together, right? You're, you're the officials. I'm the announcer. The players are the player. I mean, we all have an obligation to try to have the league succeed. What good is it if I'm on the air criticizing you guys all the time? And I said, so I always try to be fair. And he goes, hey, and, I, and Zach Zarbo used to tell me this. Josh Tiven told me this. Dan Crawford used to tell me this. I mean, you know, Leroy Richardson used to tell me this. Uh, uh, Daryl Garrettson, excuse me, Ron Garrettson came up to me in Vegas once and stopped me on the concourse and said, hey, Grant, I just want to tell you, man, we just love you. We respect the hell out of you. And you do a great job. And, we, I just, and he said to me, he said, I just want to let you know the officials really respect you. And I said, hey, I really appreciate that. That meant a lot to me, Ryan, because I always felt that announcers sometimes get too carried away in attacking the referees because they're too much of a homer. And listen, I wanted the Kings to win. I rooted for the Kings to win. But I had a job to do, and my job was not to criticize the officials, particularly when they're right a hell of a lot more than they were wrong. So if I made a mistake, I was not afraid to say, hey, you know what? I got this wrong. My bad. My apologies. You know, and I, w- I would do that when I had to do it. It says a ton about your moral compass, number one. And number two, you wouldn't be in the league for 32 years if you weren't doing something right and doing the right thing. But where is that line for you where you're not compromising your ethics and your morals versus what, you know, the fan base wants to hear or wants to see? You know, you don't want to compromise or compromise yourself. Well, Where's that line? Well, when, when an official when official is clearly wrong, then it's my job to say, hey, the official was wrong. They made the wrong call. And an official doesn't mind that either. I mean, officials don't like being wrong. Officials can't sleep at night when they make a bad call. All right? they A lot of fans don't understand that. Uh, officials live with bad calls. So if there was a bad call made during a game and it was a big call, I would come down hard on the official. And they knew it and they would expect that. But, I, but if there was a call that at first appeared to be the wrong call, which did happen a lot, and then we would show it on the replay, both Jerry and I, and Jerry was probably better at this than I was, we would applaud the official even if it went against Sacramento. We felt that was fair, being objective, and our credibility was at stake. And Jerry and I, we did not have a problem in... Uh, saying, hey, you know what? The official made the right call. Even though it went against Sacramento, the official was 100% correct. Jerry had no problem doing that, and I didn't either. It's called credibility, Ryan. And once you lose your credibility, to me, you lose everything. Absolutely. Your your word and your credibility is everything you have. So um, I'm going to transition. How about the Kings 2002 series with the Lakers, the Western Conference Finals? We all know there were bad calls there. And I'm sure you had relationships with every single referee yep. that was on the floor during that series. Sure did. Did that affect any relationship? Yes, it did. Uh, Bob Delaney, uh, who was on the court for game six, I thought was the most egregious of the three referees in that game. And Bob's missed call of the forearm shiver, Kobe Bryant into Mike Bibby. I was announcing that game and... It was right in my line of sight. And on the replay shows that Bob clearly was looking right at Kobe Bryant, clearly saw the forearm that knocked Mike Bibby off his feet. And 
was one of the most egregious calls I've ever seen in the history of the NBA. Uh, I thought Bob Delaney was beyond awful in that game, game six. I thought it was a travesty, uh, his officiating in game six. And I was very cold to Bob whenever I saw him again. Uh, so yes, it did. It did affect me personally that Bob was that bad in that game that I held it against him. So yes, it's a very fair question. Uh, and to this day, I still felt that Bob Delaney was the one, one of the most overrated officials in the NBA. Something else that bothered me about that game, the three officials were Ted Bernhardt, Bob Delaney, and Dick Pavetta. I don't know about Ted, but both Bob Delaney and Dick Pavetta ended up officiating in the NBA Finals. There is no way in the world that they should have been permitted to officiate in the next round of the playoffs after what happened in Game 6, which to this day is still considered the worst officiated game in NBA playoff history. You know, that was a joke. That was the good old boys league back then. The good old officials run by Daryl Garrison, and if you had seniority, it didn't matter how bad you were, you were going to officiate in the playoffs. But for Dick Pavetta and Bob Delaney to both end up officiating in the NBA Finals that year with the Lakers and the Nets was a travesty. They should not have been allowed to officiate anymore after that Game 6 travesty, which again was one of the, not one of, is still to this day the worst officiated game in NBA playoff history. Yeah, I would agree. It is the worst officiated game in probably NBA history, in my opinion. And, you know, we're biased, or I'm biased, I should say, um, as a lifelong Kings fan. Um, How do you think sports gambling going forward is going to affect the game and the way things are officiated and the way they are played? Because I think we're being a little bit ignorant. We don't think gambling has something to do with some of these outcomes. I think that it's going to create some scandals as we move forward with more and more states legalizing gambling. Uh, I don't think everybody is uh, on the up and up. Uh, I believe that you're always going to find a rogue person or a rogue official. I believe Tim Donaghy was a rogue official. I I believe that it's going to be near impossible to have complete integrity in the world of sports with gambling becoming so such a, a big part of our culture. I also think that it's going to be proven that legalizing gambling in America in so many states is going to end up being one of the worst things that could have ever happened to our younger generation in particular. Uh, I know that there are a lot of adolescents that are becoming addicted gamblers already. They have their cell phones, and even though they're not supposed to be gambling because they're, they're, they're all gambling with themselves, they're all gambling with their friends, and as soon as they turn 18 or 21 or whatever the case may be, and they get on the gambling apps, and they're making minimum wage, and they need a quick 30 bucks, and they're like, I'm going to bet on this game and they lose it. And compulsive gambling is a disease. And uh, I am uh, very sad to say that I have a couple of friends that are compulsive gamblers and I've watched it ruin their lives. And so I think that, you know, there's a domino effect to what's going on with the advent of gambling. I think it's going to be a very sore point for our society in the coming generations. And I think it's going to be a major problem. I think it's already a big problem in this country, but I think it's going to be a problem that is spiraling out of control with uh, so many people looking for work, uh, so many people trying to get a quick fix, thinking, okay, I can bet on this game. I can double my money. You know, we're talking about a lot of young people, not that there aren't a lot of elderly people. And by elderly, I'm talking about, you know, 65 and over uh, that still gamble a lot, uh, are gambling their retirement money, their pensions, their social security money. I mean, it's a big problem in this country. And if you don't think it is, then I think people are being naive, but I think it's going to grow to even be a bigger, bigger problem uh, as we move with future generations. Yeah, I I agree with you. The only thing that I would say, um, we're talking about different generations. I I don't think, and it is an addiction for some people, um, there's nothing wrong with throwing a little bit on the Super Bowl once a year, but Seeing, I would rather have somebody that's going to gamble or have a gambling problem do it on an app where they don't have a bookie coming after them. I agree. That's the only positive I see out of it. I agree. To be honest, um, it, it, it's a money grab, no doubt, for the leagues. I mean, you listen to national radio shows, you look at pretty much damn near all the ads, Grant, um, when yeah. they're at commercial, it's sure. DraftKings, it's other you know so it's definitely it's kind of correct me if i'm wrong or you feel different it's kind of like the cigarette ads going for or you know in the past that's correct 
Yeah, so, you're, you're spot on. And by the way, Ryan, I, I'm I'm not anti-gambling. I don't want to paint a picture that, gee, I don't gamble. I'm not saying that. I'm saying just like right. drinking, uh, just like anything else, be responsible and you know have enough willpower to say, okay, I'm taking this amount of money, this X amount of money when I go to Vegas, or I'm betting this amount of money this weekend on football, and if I happen to lose it, then I'm done because that's all I can afford to lose and I'm not going to go into my savings account or whatever and try to make that money back that I just lost. So I'm okay with responsible gambling, just like I'm okay with responsible drinking or anything else. But the key word is responsible. And that's why you need a uh, good wife to kick your ass. There you go. You need need something or someone to kick your ass. That's for sure. Exactly. So, um, you know what? Uh, I'm going to, you know, I got to ask this and we talked about it before, but your your favorite Arco Arena moment, and um, I'm going to ask the question again. Would you rather have been at the first game at Golden 1 or the last game at Arco? And you were at both, but if you could only be at one, which one would it be? Uh, the last game at Arco, because of all of the former players that were brought back in to celebrate it, and it was so great being with... Otis Thorpe and Walt Williams and Spud Webb and Regina Tisdale and their kids. And that was such a memorable buildup to that game. And I had so many incredible memories. You got to remember, Ryan, I announced the first ever game at that building in November of 1988. All right. That was my first home game as an NBA announcer christening the new building. So that building had a very special memory for me. Plus, my boys basically were infants when they were in that building and grew up in that building. So that building always, always has special memories in my heart. So the last game at Arco, the memories, the crowd, knowing also, Ryan, that we as a community had won our battle with Seattle and the NBA to keep the Kings in Sacramento. That was an incredibly special, special night that I will never forget. So I would always choose that. The last game at Arco over the first game at the Golden One Center. This show is sponsored by Better Help. Stress. We all have it to a degree, big, small, but I think you can agree we all carry around different stressors. Most of you know what I've gone through the last four years, complete career change, moving across the country, filing a lawsuit, being in the news often, dealing with all of that, trust me, has not been easy. And if you keep things bottled up, it can really have a negative impact on your life. Therapy is a safe space. You get things off your chest. You can figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. It's helpful for learning positive coping skills. You can set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself. And you know what, folks? It's not just for those who have experienced major trauma. Hey, if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's online. It's easy, convenient, flexible, and it's suited to your schedule. All you have to do is fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. Switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash grant today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash grant. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. So you brought up your boys, and I'm not asking for any details, but my dad, he was a pilot that worked for a owner here in Sacramento, not a Kings owner. Um, and I had the blessing of growing up around some athletes, and, you know, it wasn't a starstruck thing, but I, I learned a lot from them. And so how is that with what you do right now and what you've done your entire career? and your family being around 
the people they've had the opportunity to be around that most people will never have the opportunity to be around. How has that shaped them and their direction? Oh, I think it shaped them uh, a lot. I think it's a fabulous question. You know, I have pictures of my kids when they were three, four, five, six, seven years old, you know, with Vladdy Divac, with Chris Weber, with Pesha Stoyakovic, with, you know, all the players. And they had all their jerseys and, you know, the players got to know them and they would pick them up in the hallway and hold them above their head. And, you know, they grew up knowing uh, all of these players and, you know, had the chance to go on to the floor and, oh, yeah, by the way, I would take them to some road games. I'll tell you a funny story. When my son was six years old, Trent, all right, the All-Star break, we had a two-game road trip. The first game was at Milwaukee, and the second game was at Detroit. And we were going with uh, to, to meet the Pollards at the Bahamas for the All-Star break. And my wife was trying to figure out how we were going to do this because I had my game in Detroit before the All-Star break. I said, let me, let, me, let me see if I can do this. So I went to Rick Adelman, and I said, Rick, I got a favor to ask. And I explained to him the situation. I said, would there, would there be any way I could have my son come on the, on the plane? He said, sure, no problem. So then I go to my son. This is just, you cannot make this up. My son now, again, we've got to remember, six years old. We get on the plane to fly to Milwaukee, and we're going past the coaches section, and Rick Adelman stops my son. And he goes, Trent, listen. He goes, we have certain rules on this airplane. He says, your dad, he has to stay in the back of the plane. But you, if you want to walk up, you can go anywhere you want. <laughs> He's like, and I was laughing, okay? <laughs> so we go sit down, and in Milwaukee, okay, we get on the floor. I got him a ticket, and I said, Trent, now listen. This is where you're going to be sitting, and... You know, again, he's on the floor. He was, you know, throwing the ball to the guys and stuff. And we, <laughs> it's really funny, but we're getting off the bus. We're getting off the bus in Milwaukee and the bus pulls outside the Bradley Center. And you had to walk about 15, 20 paces to get into uh, the arena. I go, now, we're on the bus. I go, now, Trent, listen, the guys, they got a game. So, you know, when we get off the bus, we got to go right into the arena and we can't, can't be messing around. The players are getting ready for the game. So I get off the bus and I'm just talking to Jerry Reynolds. I'm not paying attention. And I turn around and I'm like, oh my God, where's Trent? Well, Trent is standing at the steps of the bus still, giving all the players high fives coming off the bus, right? And I'm like, <laughs> oh my God. So anyway, we get to the game. We're inside, blah, blah, blah. He's, he's six years old. He's in a seat all by himself. I'm not worried about it. The Kings win 125 to like 118, okay? So we get on the plane. We fly to Detroit. And... um. During this period of time, we had a commercial flight from Detroit to Nassau, all right? We had to go through Atlanta. Well, Vladi comes up to me. He goes, hey, where are you going? You're going to Nassau? And I go, yeah. He goes, well, listen. He goes, uh, Rebracha, who played for the Pistons, he goes, he's going to Nassau too, uh, and he's got a private plane after the game. Let me see if he's got room for you and Trent. I'm like, you're kidding me. He goes, no. So we go to Detroit, and Trent ends up sitting next to the bench for that game, and Pacer Stoyakovich hit a game-winning shot against the Pistons. But Vladi comes up to me before the game and goes, great news for you, you can fly after the game with Robracha on his private jet. And I'm like, oh, my God, that is unbelievable. So second quarter, guess who gets kicked out of the game? Robracha gets kicked out of the game in the second quarter. And I'm announcing the game, and I'm like, oh, my God, he's going to leave early without us. He's like, we're screwed now. And I'm announcing the game, and I'm paranoid. I'm freaking paranoid. So the game ends. Again, Peja hits the game-winning shot. Trent is at the end of the bench. He's just having a ball. And as it turned out, Rip Hamilton was on the plane, too, flying to the Bahamas. So Robracha had to wait for Rip. So anyway, end of the game, Robracha's there. We go in Rubracha's car to the airport, and it's freezing. I mean, it's like five below zero, and we get on the plane, and Rip Hamilton is on the plane with his girlfriend, and it's Rubracha, and I believe his wife, and me, and Trent. That's the only one on the plane. So Trent is six years old. He starts asking Rip, okay, 
about his career and about this game and about that game. And Rip is just blown away that Trent at age six knows everything about his career. And he's talking to Rip Hamilton wow. for about an hour. And I go, Trent, listen, I go, Rip's got to get in that. It's going to be a lot. So we ended up taking off from Detroit. We land at the Bahamas in Nassau at like two 30 in the morning, get off the plane. It's 80 degrees. Uh, but so yeah, my kids were spoiled as all hell growing up being in that environment. There's no question about that. That's such an incredible story. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I can't even give you anything to compare with that with what <laughs> I did growing up with my dad Yeah, when he flew. I mean, I had the guy. Do you remember David Archer, right? Oh, sure, of course. Love David Archer. Yeah. What a great guy. So, yeah, David Archer, Troy Mills, they would always mess with me when I got to go on road trips and tell me I was going to be the carry-on or luggage and put me over their shoulder. Uh, but that that's an amazing story. And Grant, I'll tell you what, that is one time that I would be paying off the breath not to call another foul on Rip Hamilton. <laughs> <laughs> you got that right. Oh, my God. Uh, we would have had to get up. You know, the airport from uh, where we were staying uh, in Upper Michigan was an hour, and then we would have had to make a connection in Atlanta and then fly to Nassau. So, you know, for us to get on a private jet, are you kidding me? Like, I'm thinking, I'm looking at my son, I'm, I'm like, Trent, this is not the real world. Don't think this is going to be your everyday life. You're flying on a private jet with Rip Hamilton. <laughs> and, and I'm like, do not get used to this, you know, but at age six. And then, of course, you know, his brother was too young to really understand the magnitude at age four. But when his brother got a little bit older, he was jealous as hell that his Trent had a chance to experience something like that. But uh, that those were... Those yeah. He's like, days. Dad, he's like, Dad, you got to get that same experience for me. Set yeah. it up. Yeah. Uh, I'm going on a private jet <laughs> with LeBron. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. Oh, my Not God. Not Draymond, though. <laughs> no, no, absolutely. So those were some good <laughs> memories. That's awesome. Thank you so much for sharing that. Hey, can I ask you a quick question just about pulling the curtain back a little bit? Yeah. Um, you know, she flew a lot with the team. Uh, what was the most abstract rule? Besides you guys having to stay on the back of the uh, plane. Well, that was only like that when we uh, chartered uh, towards the last several years with uh, Delta. But we used to fly. I actually used to sit in the cockpit on 50% of the flights uh, from when the Kings had their first plane, the Bach 111, to Greg Lukenbill's 737. I used to always sit in the cockpit because I used to love flying. And I always used to ask to sit in the jump seat. So the rules changed. We were all in the same cabin on all of those planes. And so... It, things changed at about, I want to say, give or take around 2010, 2012, right in that area when we started flying on uh, Delta had a charter service with custom-made planes. But before that, we all flew in the same cabin. It was never an issue. Um, n not really. I mean, now the players sit up in the very first part of the plane. The coaches sit in the middle part of the plane. We sit in the back part of the plane. You know, it's, it's really everyone's watching uh, – videos they're on their laptops they have their headphones on it wasn't nearly like that when we traveled early on I mean people were talking to one another it was fun uh Vladi and Bobby Jackson and a couple of Chris Weber and those guys they always used to be playing in you know four or five hour card games uh with a sizable amount of money oh, yeah. I mean so you know it was uh, a lot different than than now back then we all used to sit together we used to hang out together it was not an issue like it is now what I, I've always wondered this. I've never been on a uh, plane with an NBA team, but uh, what card games are the most popular? They play a card game uh, that I'm not even familiar with, okay? But it's a card game where you can either win a lot of money or lose a lot of money. You know, I will say that. So, uh, you know, they, they, they play a couple of different types of games. I never got into it. I never really sat there and watched them play that much. So I'd be the wrong person for asking that. But I would say that... Um, there was a sizable amount of money, and you could sometimes hear the the euphoria of the person that won, or the cursing of the, <laughs> the individual that lost. You know, a good size of money. And there were times too we would literally fly coast to coast. Now you can't make this up. We would literally fly coast to coast. Okay, we would land, and you know everybody wanted to get the hell off the plane onto the bus and get to the hotel and go to dinner, and the card game would still be going on. And they weren't done. And they would sit on the freaking plane for an extra 15 or 20 minutes until they finished the card game. And we would all be sitting on the bus waiting for them to get the hell off. And we'd be like, damn it, hurry up. You know, uh, that happened quite a bit as well. Yeah. 
Well, to all the rookies out there, don't get hooked. I'm sure the veterans are trying to fish you into those games. Oh, yes. No question about that. They are. Keegan, stay away. Sit in the back. Well, and not only that, you know, Vladi, Vladi was, you know, the best at trying to keep uh, the team loose. We were on a bus trip. When I mean a bus trip, we were landed in Newark and we were going into our hotel in Manhattan. And it was one in the morning. And one of the rookies on the team uh, had a uh, afro. And he said, listen, if I give you $10,000 cash right now, would you let us shave your head on the bus however we want? And you have to not touch your hair until after the first home game. So we had a game that next night in New York, and then we were flying to Sacramento, had a day off, and had a home game. So he would have to leave his hair like that until after the game. And I may be wrong here, so don't hold me to this. It may have been Jabari Smith. Jabari Smith's son is the guy that just was drafted third. It may have been Jabari Smith, but don't hold me to that. But anyway, we're on the New Jersey Turnpike heading into Manhattan, and Vladi asked the guys to pitch in to see how much cash we could raise. And they end up giving this rookie over $10,000 cash. And Vladi goes, okay. And they, someone had an electric razor and some scissors. And they're on the bus giving this player a mohawk and uh, the, the most god-awful haircut you'd ever seen in your life. But, you know, the, the rookie, to his credit, got $10,000 cash. And uh, to his credit, he kept his hair that way until after we got back to Sacramento for the first home game. That's what Vladi was doing. Vladi was always about the team, was always trying to get everybody to laugh, to get everybody together. I mean, Vladi won a, uh, a great amount of money on a flight from Newark, uh, or from Toronto to Newark, an hour flight, and you know it was Bobby Jackson, and you know uh, he said, "Bobby, I'll tell you what, I'll cut your debt in half if you walk from the plane to the bus and the bus into the hotel in just your underwear." And so here comes Bobby. It's <laughs> it's zero degrees, and we land at Newark, and we're walking down the uh, back of the seven twenty seven, and here comes Bobby in just his dress shoes and his skivvies, and he walks onto the bus. And you know, in New York, I'd always had my wife go there uh, because you know we were out with my dad and my aunt. My wife was at the hotel, so I called her. It was one in the morning. I go, you got to do me a favor. I go, what? She goes, what? I go, go to the lobby, try to get as many people as you can find, and get them into the lobby because Bobby. Jackson's going to be walking into the lobby in just his underwear. And so we were staying at the Trump International on 1 Central Park West, okay? And we walk into the lobby, and all these people are waiting for Bobby. And Bobby gets off the bus, and he sees all these people, and he starts chanting, who let the dogs out? Who let the dogs out? As he's walking into the Trump. And it was one of the funniest freaking things you've ever seen in your life. So, you know, Vladi was all about the team. Vladi was all about... Having the team loose, Vladi was all about team chemistry, uh, team camaraderie. He was always about having the team together, and he was always doing things like that. He was the glue. There's no doubt. Uh, Yes. In my opinion, or at least as a fan watching, he was the glue. But um, thank goodness, number one, for Bobby, TMZ was not around back then. Oh, boy. And (laughs) number, (laughs) number two... If uh, they offered you ten grand to uh, shave the hair, what are you doing? Uh, you can you can do whatever you want to my hair. Give me the cash, and it's all yours. Absolutely. So you know, if you want to start, if you want to start that right now in Sacramento, uh, you raise ten grand. You let me know where to meet. And you can do whatever you want to my hair. <laughs> That's great. That's great. There you go. So now you have a project. You know, get your buddies, raise ten grand, and you let me know where to meet, and you can do whatever you want to my hair. Hey, um, well, you know what? That's a a scary thought. There's probably some people out there that are going to listen to this and try to go find me. <laughs> you better be prepared, buddy. I'm prepared. It's okay. You know, I've had. I've listened. I. I I have experienced a lot of things in my life. You can do whatever you want to my hair. Ten grand is ten grand, is it not? Ten grand is ten grand. No right. doubt. I right. mean, it'll get you a gallon of gas right now. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. All right, so let's wrap this up. Give me one hey. more. Give me one more. What do you have for me as we wrap up what has been a really awesome hour so far? Um, you know, the one thing I was going to ask for you is, you know, you did your radio show so long here in Sacramento. And um, it was awesome. I mean, you were the mainstay. Uh, you were the main eventer. How do you feel now doing the Listen App show? Because I think the Listen App show was much more 
interaction from the listeners has been really special for you. And what are your thoughts on that? Well, my thoughts are that I will never forgive Bonneville for not allowing me to go on the radio on that Monday, June 1st. It was a gutless move by them. It was a horrible move from them. I had a phenomenal relationship for 26 years, uh, love-hate relationship, if you want to call it, give-and-take relationship, four hours every day for 26 years. I very rarely called in sick. Uh, when I had to face the music, I came in and faced the music. Uh, I didn't dodge calls. I didn't dodge questions. Uh, I was transparent. Uh, I love my audience. I love the people of Sacramento. And for Bonneville not to allow me to go on the air because I said all lives matter, every single one on social media was an absolute travesty. And that's why I have filed suit against Bonneville International Corporation. I think they're hypocritical. I think that they panicked. And I think that there was a chicken shit move not to allow me to go on. What Listen App has afforded me is the ability to reconnect with those that uh, I love talking to on a fairly regular basis. It's allowed me a live aspect of a podcast platform that when you and I are on right now, it's not live, okay? I don't have the ability to take phone calls on this particular platform. On Listen App, I have the ability, it's spontaneous, it's interactive, and for that reason, doing Listen App has been a real big joy in my life. I don't get paid for doing Listen App. I do it because I love doing it. I love talking to the fans. And again, I don't make any money on doing it. I do it because I love doing it. And so it's a very good question on your part, but it has afforded me the opportunity to reconnect, so to speak, with my audience. No doubt. And, you know, it's got to, you know, we could go all day about what happened with your situation in Bonneville, but um, I, I've got to thank the support from the fans. I mean, Grant, you, you have a steady audience every day on Listen Up, and it's the same people. And having that support has to tell you something and be reassuring to you that no matter what the next step is going to be, that you still have the people behind you. So thank you for doing it, yep. and uh, we all enjoy coming. Well, if I didn't have the people behind me, I wouldn't be doing any of this. Uh, the amount of people that reach out to me on social media every day, the comments that I get on my YouTube channel, uh, DMs that I get, uh, I'm getting people that reach out to me every day. I appreciate their support, and no matter what happens to me, regardless of whether I end up doing play-by-play -play again or I'm back on a radio station, whatever, don't have a crystal ball any more than you do. Like, for instance, if today is the last time that I ever broadcast anything, I will never forget the fans of Sacramento and Northern California and their loyal support. I won't forget those that have become fans of mine from doing the Jim Rome show that I'm still in contact with. I'm grateful for the support and of everything that I've ever done in my life, my career, announcing games, shows, everything else, nothing will ever top the relationship that I've had with the fans, the vast majority, Brian, who I've never met, okay? The vast majority of my fans, I wouldn't, I have never met, but I know them from their interaction on the radio, their messaging, everything else. I'm grateful for their support. I'm even grateful for the people that don't like me, but still listen to me. And I get people like that too, like, Grant, you suck. Grant, you're this, you're that. And okay, well, that's fine. I may suck, but thank you very much for listening to my show every day. That still is what this is all about. This is a number-based business. It's based on numbers. It's based on ratings. It's based on revenue streams. It's based on a lot of different things. So, you know, whether people love you or hate you, whether they like you or dislike you, whether they're big fans or kind of take you or leave you fans, as long as they are sampling your product and listening to what you have to say every day, that's all that really matters. So for those f folks, I'm grateful for them too. I really am. And I'm, I'm grateful for you, man. I, I am very happy that we did this. And I wish you the very best moving forward with your podcast. And, you know, people love hearing you on Listen App. You're getting a lot of people that are finding out about you via Listen App. And you're going to build your own medium on your own platform. And it's this process. It's like climbing up a ladder. You're on the bottom rungs right now. But, you know, you take a step up each rung and you keep going and you keep going and you see how high you can go. So uh, this was great, Ryan. And I wish you nothing but the best, buddy. Thank you so much, Grant, and uh, your words of wisdom, not just to me, but 
to anybody else that may be trying to break in, um, take it. It's gold. And the last thing, well, two things. Margo, what's up? I'm going to get in trouble for that probably with you, Grant. Uh, <laughs> she wanted me to say hi. It's all good. But um, also, uh, you know what? Sacramento's never going to forget you either. So don't forget that, man. Well, I appreciate that. Um, I never forget that. You know, the bond that I have with Sacramento, doesn't matter where I live in the world, that bond is always going to be there. So I appreciate it, Ryan. Thanks again very much for doing this. This was an absolute blast. Thank you, Grant. Have a great one, and thanks for having me on again. It's time for Well, now Charles Barkley is under attack because he had dinner with Greg Norman, who, of course, is leading the live golf tour and recruiting players and everything else. Charles Barkley, very transparent, had an interview with the New York Post and said this. I told Norman, quote, listen, they are making up words like blood money and sports washing. We have all taken blood money and we all have sports wash something. So I don't like those words, to be honest with you. If you are in pro sports, you are taking some type of money from not a great cause. Leave it to Charles Barkley to call it just the way it is. Do you disagree with Charles on that? Again, I don't have all the answers. If you want to support the Live Golf Tour, go ahead and support it. But Charles Barkley said, hey, I owe it to myself to listen and see what the opportunity may be. But now all of those people that are coming out attacking Charles Barkley, get a freaking life. First of all, he hasn't done anything yet. He had dinner with Greg Norman in Atlanta. So freaking relax, would you please? Freaking relax. And that's my rant for today. That is my podcast for today. Really enjoyed the conversation I had with Ryan. That was great. Hope you enjoyed it. Have a great weekend. And again, thank you so much for listening to If You Don't Like That with Grant Napier. So long, everybody. Hey, guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.